Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody, because we all have a mother, and most importantly, we have a father. <laughs> so praise God for that. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Mexico, and we're going to start with Eileen, who is, come on up, Eileen. Eileen is going to share uh, some of her experience through her participation in the Homes of Hope and the Mexico mission that this church has been a participant in uh, since we uh, were conceived as a church by the Lord. Uh, so we have built a number of houses over the years, and you've heard Mark uh, talk about that in the past. And uh, so I was doing a little calculating uh, in all of the years uh, that we have been uh, building houses in Mexico. And between this church and another church that we have participated in, there have been 33 homes built for families in Mexico. And that is, praise God for that, right? And so Ivy is going to share a little bit about her experience. Amen? All right. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Ailey, and I have gone on three trips um, in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And, um, yeah, just I'm going to share a little bit about my experiences. And, um, yeah, so I was a sophomore in high school during my first trip, and I remember people coming up on the stage and talking about it. And as a high schooler, I just thought it would be a cool opportunity. Um, and it seemed like everybody was saying it was really like uh, impactful and fun. And so there wasn't like a super deep reason why I went. It was just me wanting to go and to experience it. And um, shout out to Nordoff Spanish. I was taking Spanish there. And I was like, oh, this will go perfectly with that. And so, um, yeah, that's just why I went. And I think some of the some of the most impactful things that happened um, were really just being there and like the experience because hearing about it is really cool and um, it made me want to go. But really, like being there and being with uh, the group and with the families that we were building the houses for, that was for me the the most incredible part. And um, yeah, there's the the physical construction of the house, but there's also so much. That goes into that in, in terms of the relationships uh, with the families and also with the people on the team. Like There were people here at the church that I had seen on Sunday mornings, and I did the classic, hi, how are you? But I never really connected with them, and it wasn't until these trips that I formed friendships and relationships um, with people from the church, and it's just a really neat opportunity to see people outside of this context um, and to have random conversations and to get to know them. And for me, that has been uh, something that has stuck with me. And I still have a lot of um, really meaningful relationships because of the trips that I've been on. And just seeing God work. Um, again, there's the, there's the house and you see in two days this house being built that will have lasting impacts. And then you see the relational impacts. And it's just a really... Um, awesome reminder of how big God's kingdom is, and we're just part of that, and to see different parts of the body work. Um, there were a lot of times where a lot of grace was shown, because, you know, we're not all that great at constructing, but people are, so, they were so gracious, and um, there was just a lot of kindness being shown, and so much love, and um, just seeing that, and um, just how God worked through that in so many different ways. Um, 
that was really just why I keep going back and why I want to continue and why um, I just love it. It's it's really fun, but it goes so much deeper than than the fun part. And um, yeah, it's it's really incredible. Um, y ahora voy a hablar un poco en español porque es, estoy hablando de México. Entonces, um, yo quería compartir en, en español porque para mí la lengua es muy importante para conectar con las familias. Um, like la, la experiencia más profunda para mí es, es hablar con los niños y los padres. Y um, si sí, para nosotros es solamente dos días para construir una casa, pero yo sé que para los padres y los niños, ellos nunca van a olvidar esos dos días. Y es increíble. Like, um, es mi parte favorita, el, el aspecto um, lo más profundo. Y um, sí, es, es increíble. Y Dios es maravilloso. Y es una manera de, de compartir el amor del Señor y de Jesucristo. Y um, yo quería es, compartir que uh, sí, es, es increíble. Y um, mientras estoy hablando en español, uh, quiero uh, decir um, que en nuestro sitio web tenemos unos recursos en español. Jordan, we have a slide if you want to put that up. Um, si ustedes... Quieren aprender más sobre la Biblia, Jesucristo, Dios. Tenemos una página en nuestro sitio web, um, se llama Recursos en Español, y gracias a Dio Marín por su ayuda en este proyecto. Y es para ustedes y para la comunidad. Um, y sí, eh, creo que es todo. Um, and yeah, and I'll switch back to English. But for, uh, if you guys know anybody who speaks Spanish, uh, we do have a Spanish resource page that is available on our website. Um, and it's just for, for you guys, for the community, for anybody who is interested, um, we have that resource available. And I think that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I agree with everything she just said. So there are a couple of ways that you can participate with the church, the churches, there will be three churches going to uh, Mexico on this trip. Uh, the Orchard from Virginia, um, the Baptist Church down the street, and uh, the well. And you can participate first and foremost by praying. You can pray first for the families. There will be two families whose lives are going to be completely changed. It's a radical change from their current living situation into a home that is going to be built for them. And you've heard Mark talk about that in the past, about how life transformational that is. Very important. So you can pray for the families um, because really we go, why do we go? This is kingdom work. And so what we do is we build a house. We actually are going to build these two houses in the name of Jesus because what we're really hopeful for is uh, spiritual transformation in the life of the families, along with the physical transformation that comes from having a home with a concrete floor and walls and insulation and lights and water, none of which they have right now. So pray for the family. Pray for the team that's going to go down for safety. We're going to Mexico. So pray for safety. Uh, pray for safety on the travel down. Pray for safety while the team is in Mexico. Uh, and then, of course, there's the next way that you can help. You can help by, uh, by giving. 
Speaking of which, who had tacos last week? Come on, I'm still trying to recover from the amount of tacos I had. So let me just share with you what the Lord did last week. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Okay, obviously you're sitting down. So here's what happened uh, last week. Um, There was $8,982 donated through the taco bar last week. So we want to thank the chefs. Uh, How about those tacos? Were they good? I'm telling you. I had a conversation with Richie um, last Sunday afternoon uh, suggesting that we just do that every week. I mean, come on. Um, So there was $8,982 last week that was given in the name of the Lord for this, this trip to Mexico to build these two houses. Uh, And so we now have raised for this purpose through the generosity of y'all, we have raised $23,293. That is remarkable. And so there's a little bit of giving left to go. We've got about, what is it, four weeks before the next, uh, before we go. And um, we, we are still in need of about $5,000. And I completely concur with with Mark Bodycomb when he says, I just don't worry about these things because we've been doing this for years and the Lord has provided every single time. Amen? So, so pray. There's still opportunities to give, but the Lord is going to provide and praise God for what he's going to do on this Mexico trip. Amen? And again, thank you for everyone who uh, has been praying and participating and giving financially, sacrificially, joyfully, cheerfully to what the Lord is uh, really going to do in Mexico, and uh, such a blessing. How many of you really enjoyed the time of fellowship and just the, the churches being together? It was just a great time last Sunday, and, and we really do celebrate that. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue uh, kind of sneaking up on the next significant episode in Jesus' life, his, his temptations in the wilderness. And I, I shared with you last Sunday that, you know, there's a lot in these two verses that, again, we, we sometimes read about it, and it's such an action-packed book, the Gospel of Mark, and things move quickly that if we're not careful, we're just, we're just kind of breezing through, and, and we miss some significant teachable moments, as I like to call them. Mark 1, 12 to 13 says this, The Spirit immediately, now this is immediately right after Jesus is baptized. If you remember, he had this supernatural event, what we call the mountaintop experience, right? He he shows up, John the Baptist baptizes him. The Holy Spirit supernaturally descends from heaven. God's voice is audibly heard, affirming who Jesus is. This is my son and you, I'm well pleased, right? Just incredible mountaintop experience. Many times you may have had a mountaintop experience spiritually. You went to a concert, you went to a speaker, a conference, maybe a Sunday morning, maybe even just at home. This mountaintop experience that you never wanted to end. God spoke to you. You, you just felt so alive and things were just clicking. And you, you, know, you went, opened your door, and it's like, man, everything's more colorful today. And, and you, know, you had a whistle and you were smiling and every, you know, nothing could bother you. And you just had this mountaintop experience, as we like to call them. Well, that was Jesus, right? He's baptized, mountaintop experience. Things are just clicking, right? His father, God of the universe, affirms him, 
audibly in front of everyone. I mean, what more could you want as a son, right? Kicking off, inaugurating his ministry. And then in verse 12, immediately he goes into the desert, right? And I showed a picture last Sunday, just the desert. It's wilderness, scorpions, wild animals, arid, literal desert, inhospitable, desolate, hot, right? It says that uh, he fasts for 40 days. He gets really hungry. How many of you have been really hungry after 40 minutes, let alone 40 days, right? Can you imagine that, right? So he's, he's there. So there's a physical component to all of this. And it happens, right? Again, we'll read again. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And we're kind of sneaking up on this because I don't want us to, you know, you oftentimes will jump right into, well, what were the temptations and how did he handle that? And we're going to get to that next, next Sunday. But I wanted to kind of wrap up what we started last Sunday because this immediate transition from mountaintop to wilderness, there's, there's a lot there for us in 2023. There's a lot there because, especially with technology, we can go from the mountaintop to the wilderness in a second because of a text, because of an email, because of a phone call, right? You had that mountaintop experience and in a, like that, your, your life just went like that. And, and there's a lot in that. And I want to, I want to camp there for a little bit today uh, because we saw that we have to actually, when we're experiencing the mountaintop is when we really need to be on guard, is when we really can actually be setting ourselves up spiritually to not be able to handle the wilderness the way we ought. And like I said last Sunday, you, uh, you had this mountaintop, you kind of let your guard down spiritually, you experience the wilderness out of the blue, catches you surprise, you, you know, there's a phrase, you go on tilt, and suddenly you're reacting, you're speaking, your attitude, everything, just the old person comes out. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life when you thought you had arrived at a certain place spiritually, you hit the wilderness unexpectedly, you go on tilt, and the old person reminds you that, I haven't gone anywhere, I'm right here, right? And we, we saw that, and this is really important because we... We understand, right, on Sunday mornings, this is a bit of a mountaintop experience. I love being here. I love worship and, you know, everything we do here. But we recognize that right outside these doors is the wilderness, your workplace, your home, your health, your finances, right, the national, global situation, right? So we celebrate getting to be here, sort of a mountaintop, church gathers around the Lord, and worship the word, the Lord's Supper, and then it, really this should be preparing us to go out into the wilderness to be salt and light. Okay, not to bury our heads and not to run away from it, but we should actually be coming here, being equipped, be sort of, if you want to call it, spiritually filled, right? To go out there and, and minister, be disciples of Jesus, ambassadors of reconciliation. And so we're going to look at this today. You know, in 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. 
In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. Amen. It says, stand firm against him, be strong in your faith. And it's interesting, we can have a mountaintop faith experience, and if we're not careful, we're not prepared to go into the wilderness with our faith. And you're like, what? How does that happen? How can that happen? And, and we, looked at, we looked at it last Sunday. If you're in the mountaintop, if you're not careful, you can become dependent on the mountaintop experience rather than Jesus. If you're not careful, as a Christian, you start seeking out continual mountaintop experiences. You need hype music. You need hype conference. You need hype podcast. You need hype. You need, you want, you you just need, and you start to, rather than your faith being rooted in who you are in Christ and on God's word, it now is superseded by Christian experiences, mountaintop experiences. And then you start to, I'm not feeling it anymore. And this this is something I've heard in 30 years of ministry. I'm not feeling it anymore question to all the married couples. Have you always felt as in love with your spouse as you were on your wedding day? Okay, Randy's the exception, right? But for the rest of us normal Joes, how many of at times you love your spouse, you're committed, you're there, but you just ain't feeling it today? Anyone? Right? Anyone? Does the phrase... I love you, but I don't like you. Come up, right? All right. So, so you know in the relational context, you don't always have these mountaintop experiences, right? Right? Few and far between. How many of you wives, moms today had breakfast made in bed by that man sitting next to you? We got one. Let's give it up for Wayne. Let's give it up for Wayne. But Sherry, it ain't happening tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I just, back to the wilderness. Back to, enjoy the mountaintop. Back to the wilderness. I'm hungry. <laughs> right? So, I know Wayne, like, oh, Wayne, thanks, Wayne. Thanks. Okay, Wayne didn't raise his hand. Sherry did. So, we'll just, we'll just say that. So we understand that in the human realm, right, that we're, we're in love, we're committed, we're in a covenant relationship of marriage, but the feels aren't always there. It doesn't mean we're not in the covenant, it just means we got to be real careful that we're not looking, first and foremost, for the feels, right? When, when you got married, it was a covenant relationship, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, sickness and health, right? And so what you were saying is, I am committed Regardless of the circumstance, whether we're in the mountaintop or the wilderness, I'm still there. Well, that's, that applies to our faith. And that's why this passage is really important spiritually because, again, we can, without knowing it, start to look for spiritual mountaintops as the basis. And when we don't get them, oh, we get scared, we get insecure because we're really grounded in experience and not the word. Or we're, we're, we're grounded in experience and not the spiritual disciplines of the faith that, quite honestly, aren't fun 
all the time. That just takes commitment and discipline, and you get up and you open the word and you pray and you come to church because you need to. Amen? Right? How many of you at times have not really felt like coming here on a Sunday, but you came anyway and you were blessed because you did? Well, you just got up and you did what you needed to do. You got to pay the bills, you get up, you go to work, right? And that's really similar to our faith in Jesus, right? You just do, sometimes you just need to do what you need to do. And it's not always mountaintop. And we looked at this devil who actually, this was part of his trick, part of his strategy. And we saw this with Job. Remember, uh, God and Satan had this conversation. And, and Satan says this. We'll look at Job 1.8. He says, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes. But Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. He's like, yeah, sure, God. Of course he's a man of integrity. Of course he loves you. He lives on the mountaintop. His whole life's been a mountaintop experience. But look at this, verse 11. But, but reach out and take away everything he has. Send him into the wilderness, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. You see Satan's strategy? He already kind of knows human nature. It's easy to celebrate Jesus when we're on the mountaintop. But I wonder if they may have had this conversation about you and about me. Right? Have you noticed my boy, Marvin. Yeah, Marvin, he's a good man, godly man, using his gifts and talents in the church. Yeah, but take away his voice. Let him sing off key. Take away the keyboard. Now let's see what happens to Marvin, right? Or any, for us, any of us that we might be anchoring our faith in, which is really self and circumstance, I wonder how many of us, Satan might be, well, yeah, that's good. But Lord, send him into the wilderness, and then let's see what's what. Send him into the wilderness, and let's see what's what. Because we saw one of the purpose, the underlying purpose of Jesus going from his inaugural baptism into the wilderness was a testing, a proving to demonstrate by his victory over Satan that, yes, he was, he was the man. This, he was who God said he was. He was confirming God's affirmation by his victory over Satan. And we saw that the word tempt and testing is the same in the Greek, and we're going to look at that more next week. So I wonder, when you and I go into the wilderness, if it isn't a, oh, you know, I got to be scared and I'm running from this and, oh, I'm trying to be, and, and we get kind of scared and we feel like this versus, you know what? Test me. What if that temptation and the things in your life are really an opportunity for you to prove and glorify God? Right? What if it's really an opportunity? It's not a tempting, and we're going to look at this again next Sunday, because the word tempt, right away you think of moral, you think of seduction, you think of those kinds of things, right? I was tempted to do this. I was tempted. 
the word tempting and testing is really the same word. So from God's perspective, same circumstance, from God's perspective as a believer, it's a testing. Same circumstance, but the devil's tempting. The choice is ours. Where we land, it becomes a testing that proves us, that grows us, that solidifies our faith. If we choose the flesh, then it's a sin and we gave into the temptation of Satan. It can be the exact same circumstance. Just two different perspectives. So the question is, what can we do while we're on the mountaintop to kind of prepare us for the wilderness? To be strong in our faith as we move forward. And, and I was thinking of this. And I thought, you know, today, there was, I didn't get to this last Sunday, so I was kind of, this morning, I want us to learn from the experiences of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph in the Old Testament was a guy who literally went from mountaintop to wilderness throughout his whole life. And, and why is this important? It's important because if we don't understand that Christianity isn't just mountaintop, the enemy can get into our head and it can bring discouragement, disillusionment, accusation against God, accusation against the church. We get focused on circumstance, on feelings, on people. And all of a sudden, you know, how many of you have ever heard the phrase or someone say, I tried Christianity? Now, you were going to see towards the end of this that that really, I don't even understand what that means, except their focus was on an expectation. And kind of like, for someone to say, I tried Christianity and it didn't work, to me, indicates they had an expectation, a false expectation, that Christianity equals mountaintop experience. And so they try it. They don't get the mountaintop experience. Their life doesn't change according to their expectations or what they were led to believe and so they go and they try the next thing the next self-help or the next religion out there because they tried christianity well we're going to see through through joseph's life christianity we don't come to jesus from mountaintop not at all and i'm hoping that for you here or you at home or you listening that in one sense today we're going to come all the way back to why you should be a follower of Jesus, and it has nothing to do with mountaintop experiences on this planet. has nothing to do with that primarily, okay? In fact, Jesus in John 16, look what he says. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So if you have any false idea, any false expectations that you come to Jesus and it's all mountaintop, Jesus himself just kind of like blew, blew that up. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth, you're going to go into the wilderness. Okay, and, and that is a healthy, realistic, I love scriptures when you read scriptures because it's not candy-coated. It's not pie in the sky. A lot of people have this view of, of Christianity that's pie in the sky. 
And they think we're just here, bury our head in the sand, don't want to face the reality of the world, don't want to face the reality of the economy, don't want to face the reality of whatever. And we just come here, we sing songs, and we're living in a fantasy land, right? Because it's just all mountaintops and, and rainbows and clouds and bubbles and you know, all this kind of weird stuff. Because we're all just feel good here. That's a lot of people view that. And if they're not careful, they kind of set people up. And there are churches filled that kind of preach that. And it pushes the flesh button. They say, come to this church and we'll live on the mountaintop together. And Jesus will give you everything you want to be on the mountaintop. And quite frankly, what, what kind of bugs me about that is it sets people up. It sets people up for great disillusionment and great discouragement. And then they leave and they're like, I tried Christianity. You miss John 16. Jesus himself told you, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth you're going to go through the wilderness. So the question is, how do we navigate the mountaintops and the wilderness and kind of stay where we need to stay in a sense of stability, strength, and not get caught up in what I call the extremes, right? The real mountaintops and the real lows, the really highs and real lows. Because a lot of Christians, if you're not careful, if you're not rooted and grounded, you're doing this. This can be your walk. Things are good, 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 good. I'm at church. I'm serving. I'm in my Bible. I'm running out of my hands are raised, right? And then something happens. You go into the wilderness. Boom. I don't want to go to church. I haven't read my Bible in weeks. I don't even fellowship anymore. Want nothing to do with that. And then circumstances change and you're back, right? You're living here. And so through Joseph's story, I'm hoping that we can all kind of live here. Just live here, okay? And so if you're familiar with, with Joseph, right, his story is really Genesis 37 all the way through 45. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this very broad, I mean, I mean broad survey. And I'm just going to show some highlights, mostly to kind of give you time to alter, maybe you're already there, but for some, through Joseph's mountaintop and wilderness experiences, maybe we just need to except the fact that we're going to have mountaintop and wilderness. We just need to expect that and accept it. It's just part of it. It's just part of life. And so Joseph, right, he, in Genesis 37, he starts in this mountaintop experience, right? Verse 3, Jacob, his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. That's kind of mountaintop, yeah, dad loves me. I'm his favorite. Look, he made me this robe, you know, coat of many colors, right? Kind of mountaintop things. are He's starting off pretty good, right? And then further in 37, he goes from the mountaintop to the wilderness because his brothers are not real happy that he's the favorite. And that as the favorite, he has these dreams. And in the dream, his brothers, his bros are like, hey, dude, let me tell you this dream. In this dream, y'all were bowing to me. Right? And so right away, he goes from the mountaintop of the coat of money colors, dad's favorite son, into family dysfunction. Sibling rivalry, right? Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, right? So they, they, his brothers conspire. Some of them want to kill him. Okay? Look what, look what happens. Sends him into wilderness. So when Joseph arrived, they're out in the field. 
His brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Right? Mountaintop, dad's favorite, to the wilderness. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Right? Anyone ever have mountaintop or wilderness within your own family? Right? Like, what? Right? So he's in the wilderness, okay? Genesis 39 tells us this. So he gets sold to these these traders on their way to Egypt. Look what happens, Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, okay? The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops crops and livestock flourished. Back to the mountain! Right? He's sold. He's, I don't know how long it took him to get to Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar. Boom, boom, boom. In five verses, he is right back to the mountaintop. He is the man. Right? Mountaintop success. Complete in charge of Potiphar. Woo! Right? Mountaintop. Mountaintop. Right? And then he goes into the wilderness again. And we're going to look. We're going to come back to this because if you know the story, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. Joseph says, no, 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 no. And in fact, runs away. She grabs his cloak. And then she falsely accuses Joseph of attempted sexual assault or rape. Potiphar shows up, believes the story, puts Joseph in prison, right? Wilderness, Genesis 39, 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Wilderness. Wilderness. I'm the man. Look what I did. Boom, boom, boom. Falsely accused. Unjustly accused. Not even true. Thrown in jail. Wrongly. Anyone here ever been wrongly accused? unjustly, treated unjustly, not fairly, right? How many of you have ever said, that's not fair? That's not right. But, 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 I didn't do anything, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. He goes from the mountaintop to the wilderness, right? But then check this out. In prison, in prison, Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, In the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. 
Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Back to the mountain. Even in an initial wilderness experience, he becomes a mountaintop in the wilderness. Are you seeing this? He's in the prison. It became a mountaintop. He was sold the wilderness. His brothers betrayed him. The wilderness journey to Egypt. Once he gets to Egypt, Egypt, the wilderness became a mountaintop. Both times it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Okay? Don't miss that. And so he's in prison, right? He has this other wilderness moment where uh, the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh was put in prison and Joseph helps him interpret a dream he has, right? And the cupbearer is freed supernaturally because of the interpretation. And Joseph, I don't know if you catch this, Joseph says, hey, by the way, don't forget me. Don't forget that I did this for you, right? And it says at the end of Genesis 39, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So Joseph, while in prison, helps another prisoner to get set free and says, hey, dude, when you're free, don't forget me. He forgot him. Anybody ever been dependent on someone? Hey, man, don't, can you help me out? I helped you. Can you help me? Anyone ever been let down? Right? We're hoping that someone was going to come through for you because you came through for them. You just want a little bit of, a little bit of, you know. Help me out. Help a brother out. Right? Didn't happen. So he's there. Two years. He's there. Why? Because the cupbearer just kind of forgot him. Right? And then, if you know the story, Pharaoh has these dreams. And nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Right? And then two years later, the cupbearer goes, Hey, Pharaoh. Two years ago, this dude, he told me out the dream. That why I got, that's how I got out. He goes, why don't you ask him? Two years later, pff, silly me. Right? So two years later, they tell the dream to Joseph. Joseph correctly interprets Pharaoh's dream regarding the upcoming famine. You guys know that, right? Look what happens. So he's been in the wilderness for two more years. Genesis 41. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. What? Right? It's kind of like, you know, I've shared with you before, like if, if, you ever, if you're familiar with the stock market and something's in an uptrend, nothing goes up in a straight line. It's like up, woohoo, and then there's a retrace. Oh, and then it goes up further, it breaks that, and goes up further, and a retrace, and further, and a retrace. That's kind of Joseph's life, and that's kind of our life. God takes us up a mountaintop, and then for a season, there might be a wilderness retrace, 
where he has to work out some stuff in us. And if we're focused and we have the right perspective and we respond biblically in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? We, we take the next leg up past where we were. Amen? The retrace, the wilderness that you're in right now, doesn't mean you're not in an uptrend. It can actually mean you are in an uptrend. And what you needed to do was come back, regroup, solidify things, get more firm in your faith, use your gifts, use your talents, get more connected to the body for the next leg up where there will be greater challenges and greater responsibilities. Amen? But sometimes what happens is we have a retrace, and if we lose focus and we weren't prepared, then it becomes a downtrend because it's always me. And how could God? And I stop reading my Bible, and I give up on church, and I give up, and, and you're so disillusioned that what was an uptrend and what was a little bit of a retrace becomes a downtrend. How did that happen? Because we lost focus. We simply lost Focus of the big picture. Of the big picture. Right? If you're familiar with the market, there's, there's these charts that guys read. And there's a daily chart where it says what the market did on that day. Overall, it was a day. But even in that daily chart, there's one hour, 15 minute, 30 minute. Right? And if you're not careful, on the daily chart, you're going up. But if you focus on the one hour, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then at the end of the day, it does this. And if you're only looking at your daily, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a cool love trend. You're like, dude, you have no idea. Right? How many of you have had one of those days where it was a crazy day and you were living like this? And then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. That actually worked out pretty good. Right? So you were living. There's the daily. But in the daily, there's the five-minute, 10-minute, and 15-minute chart. How many of you sometimes feel you're like you're living every 15 minutes or the next hour, right? Let me get through this next class, right? <laughs> the next thing, right? We got to keep the big picture in mind. We have to keep the eternal picture in mind. We have to keep the things of God in mind, okay? Otherwise, the devil can get in our head. Otherwise, we get circumstance-driven. Otherwise, we turn inward, and it's self-driven, Got to be very careful about that, okay? And so to get the right perspective, to help us, I want to circle back to this testing, this temptation that Joseph had with Potiphar's wife, okay? So remember, Joseph was sold to the traders. He, he gets bought by Potiphar. Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. Everything, it's a mountaintop. Just boom, successful on all fronts, right? Genesis 45 says this. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, that's a powerful, for our culture, this is a powerful lesson right here. 
because Joseph could have let all of this mountaintop experience go to his head. And he could have let down his guard spiritually. And it could have been about him and his ego. And I'm the man, and now I'm going to try to get away with this. And I know I could because Potiphar completely trusts me. The stage was set for Joseph to get away with this. It was, it was like set right there. There's the test. Sometimes the test isn't a big scary thing that comes at you. You know what, what the trick is in, in, in the testings? This table is set. It's almost too easy. And because it's so easy and you have a high probability of getting away with it, that's where the real test and temptation comes. Not the scary thing. It's the real easy thing. The thing that just seems to be tailor-made and you can fulfill your flesh, you can get away with it, and nobody will ever know. That's the test. When it, when it, and that's the appeal to the flesh. That's the appeal to the flesh. And so what I love about this, and I remember reading this as a young believer, and it has stuck with me 30-plus years, this, in verse 9, it says, No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? You can put the verse up again. It would be a great sin against God. Game changer perspective. It would be a great sin against God. I love that. In the midst of the mountaintop, Joseph didn't lose his focus on his relationship with God. Amen? And he, you know what? What I love about that verse, he called it what it is, sin. It wasn't an affair. It wasn't an indiscretion. It wasn't an oopsie moment. It was none of that. He didn't try to candy coat it. He didn't put the words language. He says, how could I do this? It would be a sin against God. If you want victory from the mountaintop into the wilderness, you got to be able to call sin what it is. It's sin. And it's not just, I'm sorry, I sinned. You got to be able to say, Lord, I sinned against you and you only have I sinned. Amen? That's the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's living focused on the Lord regardless of circumstance. Amen? Sin is sin on the mountaintop and in the wilderness. It's sin. That's where our focus needs to be. It's our relationship with God. We love God so much that we don't want to sin against him. Amen? You said, how could I do this thing? How could I commit this sin and, and sin against God? Do you hear the heart behind that? That's a man who values, who cherishes his relationship with God, his love, his love relationship with God so much, he doesn't want to wound God. It's not God, the big principal on the sky, who's going to throw lightning bolts at him. It's God, I don't want to hurt God. That's love. That's love, right? I've shared this with before as parents. We understand when we're raising our kids that we try to discipline them and correct them. And part of that is instilling sort of a fear of consequence, right? A fear of consequence. But you know as a parent, as they mature, what you really want to instill in your parents, in your kids, is a love for you and a love for that relationship that they don't want to do something that would hurt you as mom and dad. Amen? Not, not that they're scared 
scared of you and mom and dad. Not that they're scared of you getting caught. Not that they're scared of the wrath of dad when he gets home. But they're out there in the world with their friends having to make choices. And they choose not to do something that would harm the family relationship. Amen? That's the power of a motivation of love. That's our motive for the Lord. Whether on the mountaintop or the wilderness, our love for the Lord should not change. And the choices we make should be really out of a sense of, I don't want to sin against the Lord. I don't want to. You see what I'm saying? So I love that about Joseph. And, and then look at this. He has his heart right. And then she was still really persistent. Like persistent. Look at, we keep reading. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went, to do in, went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Jesus, Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand and he, as he ran from the house. When she saw that she, she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Man, that was intense. Right? But I loved it in the beginning. It says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. It's relentless out there, isn't it? If you're not careful... And the circumstances and the people you put yourself around in, it's going to keep coming at you. There's a choice we have, what we're listening to, what we're looking at on, on the internet, all that kind of stuff, right? And he says, but he refused to sleep with her, and, I think, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. You know what's important there? He was practical. He did some things that were practical. He kept out of her way. He tried to avoid her, Right? Sometimes in life, guys, here's the thing. Christianity is super practical. If you're dealing with a testing or temptation, turn off the internet. It's that practical. Sometimes we get real hyper-spiritual about stuff. I'm praying about it, and I'm just waiting for the Lord to answer me, and I just, God knows my struggle. Bro, unplug the internet. Why do you have to pray about that? You see what I'm saying? Like we mask. Sometimes we mask things that we're trying to kind of like live in the gray. And we mask it quite honestly. I'm just being very honest. 30 years of this. We mask because we like living in the gray. We mask it with Christianese and spiritual stuff. If you're around the wrong crowd, stop hanging with that crowd. But you know, uh, I'm a Christian and and I'm the only light and I just got to be with them. I kind of get that, but you're just putting yourself surrounded by more temptation. And more often than not, the world is going to win. You know, I get that, but sometimes, guys, just if you're, if you're going in a wilderness experience or you're being tested and tempted right now, honestly, what's the obvious thing that you're not even, that you're missing? Like, literally, what is the clearly obvious, simple thing that you know you could do that you're just not doing? Do that. Okay? Sometimes we know the answer. We just don't want to do it. 
Let's just be honest. We just don't want to do it, right? And that could, there could be a lot to that. That's why you need brothers and sisters in Christ who will come alongside you, speak the truth in love, help you make practical steps as much as possible. But here's the thing. We know it and the elders know it. That door is locked from the inside. We can't force you to do a thing. We can pray for you. We can encourage you. We can call you out in love. But sometimes you just have to do very practical things. That's just that's the way it is, right? And, and I love this because in that, Joseph was willing to do what he needed to do, meaning run away and be willing to suffer the consequences for doing what was right. Sometimes we're going to have to do what is right in a very practical way and be willing to suffer the consequences. That may not be very fun and may be unjust and not fair. But I was just standing up for the Bible and I was just... Dude, all you got to do is turn on the news a little bit and, you gotta see, and you'll see people around this country and the world standing up for Jesus in jail. Making, for Je- making a stand for Jesus and godly principles around this country and they're being threatened they're... Yeah. So if we're going to move forward in 2023 into the wilderness, and we on, A, we have to keep our perspective right with God. We can't start minimizing sin. We can't not call it what it is, okay? We got to keep our relationship with the Lord paramount, first priority. We got to do practical things. Practical things. Turn this off. Start doing this positively. It's just kind of simple stuff. And then, honestly, as we move forward, as the church, as believers, at the individual level and at the church level, by golly, there's going to have to be a few times where we take some real deep breaths and we honor God despite the circumstances. At a certain point, we're going to have to stand up for what we believe is the truth. In this case, the digital word of God. Because it's getting more unpopular. And the world is getting much more um, angry at God's word. And by default, at us. Jesus, what did Jesus say? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And there's been a, you know, I started a ministry in the late 80s, early 90s. And there was a window where it's pretty calm. But I'm going to tell you, in the last few years, man, things have ratcheted up in this country. The animosity and the angst against the biblical worldview on so many social issues. And so we're going to have to, at a certain point, take a cue from Joseph. Take a cue from Joseph. We're going to have to prioritize our relationship with God. We're going to have to call sin, sin, starting with our own life. And then we're going to have to do what we have to do to honor God and be true to God, despite the circumstances. Amen? That's just kind of where we're heading. Now, praise God that we have the church to do it together with. We're not alone. We're not alone. But that's where we're going. And then, I just want to wrap up too, is at the end of Joseph's story, you remember his, the, the famine hits Egypt. All the land is hit by this famine that, that Pharaoh had dreamed about. And his brothers show up in Egypt looking for a little help. And they show up and they come to Pharaoh's, you know, Pharaoh's palace and they come asking for help and they don't recognize Joseph. 
And so they're asking, and you should read it. It is a great, you know, there's plot twists, and it's like this great, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's a Hallmark movie, but it's like, you know, one of them kind of movies. You're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And what's going to happen next? Right? And Joseph, remember, these are the guys who, like, wanted to kill him, decide not to kill him, take his robe off and throw him in a hole, and then, out of their good graces, sell him. These are the guys that show up. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were Joseph, second to Pharaoh, and these dudes show up, how many of you would have been a wee bit tempted to little, little something, something? Mama, let me just, little retribution here, little, 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 let me just, let me show you who's in charge now, wink, wink. Anyone here? Honestly, you've been like, oh, great story, right? I remember when I was reading this, I was like, get him, Joe. Get him, Joe. Because the first time I read it, I didn't know how it ended. I was like, oh, they're in for it now. Y'all shouldn't have messed with God's boy, you know? Look what happened. So they have this interaction. Joseph kind of messes with them, plays with them a little bit, doesn't let on. Finally, it comes to a head, climax, where he, just, he needs to just tell them what's, who he is, right? So Genesis 45, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Amen? It was God. It was God in control the whole time. That's the kicker in this whole thing. Whether you're on the mountaintop or the wilderness, God is in control. God is in control all the time. 24-7, 365, God is in control. And man, I'm humbled by this because Joseph here pans way back to the God perspective. I'm reading that, and I'm like, man, I want that perspective in my life. Because I know when people wound me, it's hard to pan back. I'd be like, you sent me here. You did this to me. This is your fault, right? And I want some payback, right? I, we, things happen to us in, in relationships, at work, in the family, and man... It is like a supernatural act of God to pan back and see it from God's perspective. You know what that's called? Faith. That's the walk of faith. That is the walk of faith. 
to keep God's perspective, whether we're on the mountaintop or the wilderness, the thing that doesn't change is that God is God. And God is in control all the time. All the time, right? You know, I just want to close with a passage from Luke 10, where Jesus had sent out the 72 on a mission trip, basically a mission trip. And so they come back, and this is what it says in Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy, right? Things went really great on this mission trip. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I had given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, here's the key. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You want to weather the mountaintops and the, and the wilderness and kind of live a life of victory right here? Keep God's perspective that he is in control and remember that your name is written in heaven. You see, they came back from this mission trip. Woo-hoo-hoo! Demons, we were casting out demons. Man, Jesus, you should have been there. It was awesome. You know, I did it, then he did it. We said, boom, and they were gone, right? They were so excited about this supernatural mission trip experience and Jesus was like, you know, sorry to be a party pooper. I know it was great. It was great. But I, guys, guys, guys. You're on the mountaintop. It was a mountaintop experience. Awesome. Good. Good. But let me, let, me, let me keep you grounded. Let me keep you grounded. Rejoice that your names are in heaven. That's the grounding. Right? Because if, if they got caught up in the supernatural event, the mountaintop, they're going to go out again and they're going to look for the same thing to happen. Hey, you remember when? Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And if they're not careful, they get caught up in Christian experiences and creating another mountaintop mission experience. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Amen. Thank you. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven. See, 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 I'm telling you right now, I love you dearly, but if you're like me, you're pretty much caught up in your circumstances. When was the last time you woke up and said, man, I'm rejoicing. My name is written in heaven. Or you're like me this morning when I got up at 5.30 a.m. and discovered a shower leak in my wall. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm wondering in the back of my head, all through this entire time, is my house flooded right now? But God is in control. And I'm rejoicing that my name is in heaven and I'm going to go home and slosh through my bedroom. That's like real time too. That just like literally happened at 5.30 this morning. And I woke her up earlier. (laughs) Honey, guess what? Rejoice. Count it all joy that we fall into various trials. This is, we're having perseverance and character. We're living James 1, aren't we? Yeah, it's my side. Yeah, it's actually her side of the closet. Yeah. Bummer. But, um, my stuff's all dry. I'm like, oh, honey, your shoes are soaked. Man. See ya. Gotta go to church. <laughs> but, um. I share all this just so that we can pan back, amen? 
There are trials, there are tribulations, there are sorrows, there's finances, there's plumbing, there's all kinds of stuff. And sometimes Jesus says, you know what? Can you just rejoice that your name is written in heaven? Never minimize that. Come on. <laughs> We're like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're saved and you're going to heaven. Oh, yeah, I know. I grew up in the church. Yeah, I know. Come on. Jesus himself. Hey, guys. Get off the mountaintop. Hey, let me tell you something. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. Somebody here, somebody at home, somebody listening, you need to rejoice your name is in heaven. You need, you need to go home and you need to face plumbing. You need to go face whatever you're facing and it not touch the fact that you can rejoice that your name is written in heaven and that this is all ultimately temporal. This is temporal, right? I love Steve Cole says this. They were excited about how God had used them in defeating Satan's forces through their ministry. Jesus is not telling them not to rejoice at all in such victories. Rather, he is putting it in perspective. Our greatest joy should not be in seeing how God uses us to serve him, but rather in the simple fact that our names are recorded in heaven. Service has its ups and downs, but salvation through God's grace and the assurance that whom he saves he keeps should fill us with steady joy. God's sovereign grace in saving us should bring us greater, should bring greater joy to us than all other joys because it is eternal. Amen? It's eternal. And I got to be honest with you, you know, again, you've heard me before, I try to keep up on the news and I try to keep up what's going on. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes when I do that, I lose the eternal perspective. I get caught up in the next thing that's coming down the pipe because I don't like to be surprised economically, financially, politically. I try to keep abreast of what's coming up in the next cycles or whatever. And you know what? I realized even in preparing for this, I lose sight of the eternal. And when I lose sight of the eternal, oftentimes I lose my joy because I come off the mountaintop and I am now circumstance-driven and I'm in the wilderness and I can be spiritually treading water and it's all because I lost sight of the eternal. I stopped rejoicing that my name is recorded in heaven. <laughs> my sins are forgiven, right? I, I stopped clapping, right? I stopped clapping. And one final, one final verse to encouragement for you, for, you, for me, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Everyone say all all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. doesn't mean everything is good. It means even in the trials and tribulations and the wilderness moments, God will work it for the good. Let that resonate for a little bit. We don't have to strive for these mountaintop experiences because deep in our core, even if we're in the pit of the wilderness, God's going to work that for the good. That is comforting, amen? That, that gives deep joy. That gives deep comfort. That gives deep peace because no matter what God allows in my life, he is gonna work it for the good. Even the times when I mess up, he will still work it for the good. It's not an excuse, but man, I praise God that he's not a one and done God. Oh, you messed up, you're out. No, I praise God that when I mess up, he works it for the good. 
He circles it back around. However he does that, it is amazing. Right? It is amazing. Look at this final quote. God works behind the scenes, ensuring that even in the middle of mistakes and tragedies, good will result for those who love him. At times, this will happen quickly, often enough to help us trust the principle. But there will also be events whose results for good we will not know until eternity. Our ultimate destiny is to be like Christ. See, there's a powerful truth in that and a powerful faith. Sometimes things will happen and you'll see God work it for the good. And there might still be some open-ended things right now. And you don't know how it's going to be worked out for the good. But I'm here to tell you on the, on the authority of Romans 8.28, on the authority of God's goodness, hang in there. Trust him. Trust him. Oftentimes, the good that he works out, how it works for the good, we only see it in retrospect. We don't see it in the heat of the moment. We don't see it when we're in the wilderness. Sometimes in the wilderness, we can barely just see one step ahead of us. Amen? And, we start, and, we, and by faith, we get up, we do what we need to do, and we take the next step, then we take the next step, then we take the next step. And then, God willing, one day we look back and we're like, oh my gosh. Look what he did. Look how he worked it for the good. I couldn't see it today. I might not even see how he's going to work it out this week. But I know God is good all the time. And he promises in Romans 8.28 that all things work for the good. And he tells me to rejoice because my name is recorded in heaven. And whether we're in the wilderness or the mountaintop, from Joseph, I learned some. God can turn the wilderness into a mountaintop if my perspective is right. Right? And I share this last picture with you because some of you are visual learners like me. I just wanted to give you a picture of blooming in the desert. Because that's you. That's you and that's me. When our perspective is right and we walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the desert, even in the wilderness, you and I can bloom. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for your incredible words of encouragement this morning because... Jesus, you said there will be many trials and sorrows during our time on this planet. So thank you. Thank you for the example of Joseph and his, just his, his commitment, his perspective. He, he repeatedly saw things from your, your perspective. And when he was tempted to sin, he saw that it wasn't, it wasn't a human issue. It was between him and you, and he didn't want to sin against you. Father, give us that same perspective, that same heart, that same desire to honor you, to glorify you because we love you, because we love you. And, and then, Father, we're reminded today that we, we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Oh, man. Father, forgive me for taking that for granted. Forgive me for looking for circumstances to be the source of my joy rather than who I am in Christ, rather than my salvation. Father, please help us navigate the wilderness times of life. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're in a bit of a wilderness, 
and just give you a few, few moments here to bring that experience, your needs to God right now. If you've been caught up in circumstance, if maybe you've become discouraged, disillusioned, angry, confused, hurt, whatever it is in your wilderness moment, bring it to God right now and open your heart to him. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus to have this kind of relationship where you can have peace and joy, whether you're on the mountaintop or the wilderness, come this morning to Jesus on the basis of salvation, not for what he's going to do for you. But we come to Jesus because we need a savior. We come to Jesus because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The ultimate basis of our relationship with Jesus is the forgiveness of sin. Not what he's going to do next for us because he already died and rose from the dead. And if that's you, you pray something like this. Dear God, in the best way I know how, I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In the best way I know how I'm professing that I need Jesus to forgive me for my sins. I believe that he died and rose again. Jesus, thank you. I profess, I confess, I rely on you, only you for salvation. Forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And Father, as we prepare for communion, I pray that um, as we come forward and go back to our seats and have a time of prayer, that this would be a time of, have you been rejoicing? That the cups today would remind us that our names are written in heaven. And we would have communion as a church family with joy and deep, deep peace that you truly do work all things for good. So we love you. I'm just going to give you this time of communion now. Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody, because we all have a mother, and most importantly, we have a father. <laughs> so praise God for that. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Mexico, and we're going to start with Eileen, who is, come on up, Eileen. Eileen is going to share uh, some of her experience through her participation in the Homes of Hope and the Mexico mission that this church has been a participant in uh, since we uh, were conceived as a church by the Lord. Uh, so we have built a number of houses over the years, and you've heard Mark uh, talk about that in the past. And uh, so I was doing a little calculating uh, in all of the years uh, that we have been uh, building houses in Mexico. And between this church and another church that we have participated in, there have been 33 homes built for families in Mexico. And that is, praise God for that, right? And so Ivy is going to share a little bit about her experience. Amen? All right. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Ailey, and 
I have gone on three trips um, in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And um, yeah, I just, I'm going to share a little bit about my experiences. And um, yeah, so I was a sophomore in high school during my first trip. And I remember people coming up on the stage and talking about it. And as a high schooler, I just thought it would be a cool opportunity. Um, and it seemed like everybody was saying it was really like uh, impactful and fun. And so there wasn't like a super deep reason why I went. It was just me wanting to go and to experience it. And um, shout out to Nordoff Spanish. I was taking Spanish there. And I was like, oh, this will go perfectly with that. And so, um, yeah, that's just why I went. And I think some of the some of the most impactful things that happened um, were really just being there and like the experience because hearing about it is really cool and um, it made me want to go. But truly, really like being there and being with uh, the group and with the families that we were building the houses for, that was for me the the most incredible part. And um, yeah, there's the the physical construction of the house, but there's also so much that goes into that in, in terms of the relationships uh, with the families and also with the people on the team. Like there were people here at the church that I had seen on Sunday mornings and I did the classic, hi, how are you? But I never really connected with them. And it wasn't until these trips that I formed friendships and relationships um, with people from the church. And it's just a really neat opportunity to see people outside of this context um, and to have random conversations and to get to know them. And for me, that has been uh, something that has stuck with me, and I still have a lot of um, really meaningful relationships because of the trips that I've been on. And just seeing God work, um, again, there's the, there's the house, and you see in two days this house being built that will have lasting impacts, and then you see the relational impacts. And it's just a really um, awesome reminder of how big God's kingdom is and we're just part of that, and to see different parts of the body work. Um, there were a lot of times where a lot of grace was shown, because, you know, we're not all that great at constructing, but people are, so, they were so gracious, and um, there was just a lot of kindness being shown, and so much love, and um, just seeing that, and um, just how God worked through that in so many different ways. Um, that was really just why I keep going back and why I want to continue and why um, I just love it. It's, it's really fun, but it goes so much deeper than, than the fun part. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Y ahora voy a hablar un poco en español porque estoy hablando de México. Entonces, yo quería compartir en español porque para mí la lengua es muy importante para conectar con las familias. Um, like la, la experiencia más profunda para mí es, es hablar con los niños y los padres y um, si para nosotros es solamente dos días para construir una casa pero yo sé que para los padres y los niños ellos nunca van a olvidar esos dos días y es increíble like, um, es mi parte favorita el, el aspecto um, lo más profundo y um, sí es, es increíble y Dios es maravilloso y es una manera de, de compartir el amor del Señor y de Jesucristo y um, yo quería es compartir que 
sí, es, es increíble. Y um, mientras estoy hablando en español, uh, quiero uh, decir um, que en nuestro sitio web tenemos unos recursos en español. Jordan, we have a slide if you want to put that up. Um, si ustedes quieren aprender más sobre la Biblia, Jesucristo, Dios, tenemos una página en nuestro sitio web, um, se llama Recursos en Español, y gracias a Dio Marín por su ayuda en este proyecto, y es para ustedes y para la comunidad. Um, y sí, eh, creo que es todo. Um, and yeah, and I'll switch back to English, but for, uh, if you guys know anybody who speaks Spanish, uh, we do have a Spanish resource page that is available on our website Um, and it's just for, for you guys, for the community, for anybody who is interested, um, we have that resource available. And I think that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I agree with everything she just said. So there are a couple of ways that you can participate with the church, the churches, there will be three churches going to uh, Mexico on this trip. Uh, the Orchard from Virginia, um, the Baptist Church down the street, and uh, the well. And you can participate first and foremost by praying. You can pray first for the families. There will be two families whose lives are going to be completely changed. It's a radical change from their current living situation into a home that is going to be built for them. And you've heard Mark talk about that in the past, about how life transformational that is. Very important. So you can pray for the families um, because really we go, why do we go? This is kingdom work. And so what we do is we build a house. We actually are going to build these two houses in the name of Jesus because what we're really hopeful for is Uh, spiritual transformation in the life of the families, along with the physical transformation that comes from having a home with a concrete floor and walls and insulation and lights and water, none of which they have right now. So pray for the family. Pray for the team that's going to go down for safety. We're going to Mexico. So pray for safety. Uh, pray for safety on the travel down. Pray for safety while the team is in Mexico. Uh, and then, of course, there's the next way that you can help. You can help by, uh, by giving. Speaking of which, who had tacos last week? Come on. I'm still trying to recover from the amount of tacos I had. So let me just share with you what the Lord did last week. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Okay. Obviously, you're sitting down. So here's what happened uh, last week. Um, There was $8,982 donated through the taco bar last week. So we want to thank the chefs. Uh, how about those tacos? Were they good? I'm telling you. Um, had a conversation with Richie um, last Sunday afternoon uh, suggesting that we just do that every week. I mean, come on. Um, So there was $8,982 last week that was given in the name of the Lord for this, this trip to Mexico to build these two houses. Uh, and so we now have raised for this purpose, through the generosity of y'all, we have raised $23,293. That is remarkable. 
And so there's a little bit of giving left to go. We've got about, what is it, four weeks before the next, uh, before we go. And um, we, we are still in need of about $5,000. And I completely concur with, with Mark Bodycomb when he says, I just don't worry about these things because we've been doing this for years and the Lord has provided every single time. Amen? So, so pray, there's still opportunities to give, but the Lord is going to provide and praise God for what he is going to do on this Mexico trip. Amen?